Welcome to the Supported Living Property Podcast with your host, me, Lisa Brown, the place to learn about supported living property investing. In this episode, Susie Carter shares her experience of negotiating commercial leases. She talks through the process of negotiating a lease, explaining break clauses, lease length and valuations. Susie also suggests where you can get good advice about leases. Hi Susie, it's great to have you here today. How are you? Hi Lisa, yeah I'm great, thank you. How are you? Yeah, no, I'm good, thank you. For people who don't know you Susie, do you want to introduce yourself and tell people a bit about you? Yeah, sure. So hi, everyone. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, My name's Susie Carter. So I'm a charter surveyor. Um, I've been in and around commercial property for almost 30 years, scarily. Um, I've got a commercial commercial corporate background. So I've worked for kind of a lot of the, um, well, a lot of big corporates um, in the commercial space. So CBRE, B&Q, Landsec, where I manage big portfolios of commercial real estate. Um, I actually stopped the corporate world. I, I gave up the corporate world in 2015. Um, and now I do some consultancy for clients. I um, run the Commercial Property Academy, where I kind of help people invest in commercial real estate. Um, I invest in both residential and commercial property uh, for ourselves. And um, yeah, it kind of uh, de- de- never looked back, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> fantastic and obviously you're here today because I want to pick your brains about leases because obviously with all of that your experience in in all of that commercial property you're very very familiar with commercial leases um, yeah. and for a lot of people a lot of property investors come into this space and a lot of providers leases are something a bit new that people have to get their heads around and I think there's a lot of confusion about them um, first of all if you don't mind you know what's the difference between a lease and AS and an AST why can't you just have an assured shot whole tenancy if I'm a care provider you know taking on a property yeah so um so a commercial lease is put in place to a business so you can't put a um assured short hold tenancy or residential uh, tenancy in place to a to a to a commercial entity to a business so um you have to have a commercial lease to a business and therefore it's governed by a whole different set of legislation and case law um, which governs commercial tenancies basically so it is it is a completely different world than residential asts fantastic and obviously you spent most of your life i guess from your experience or a lot of it talking in the negotiating lease terms and, and being very familiar with all these different lease terms what do you think people need to think about when they are negotiating leases? What's key when you're you're negotiating them? Because they're not set, are they? You know, like an AST is fairly standard and this is how it is. Um, leases aren't like that, are they? No, that's right. So it is definitely all down to negotiation. Um, but the, the the best place I would start is, is a heads of terms. So um, because commercial leases can be a bit more complicated and also um, are not set in stone like ASTs, um, it's a really great place to start is to put heads of terms in place. So, you know, um, landlord, tenant, uh, property, lease term, you know, how long is it going to be? Are there any break clauses in there? Um, what's the use of the property? Because that, you know, that needs to be governed and you would usually say within a certain use class or type of type of use, there'll be some restrictions as well on use. Um, you know, if, if you don't want certain types of uses in there, um, <laughs> then, you know, who does the alterations, who ensures, 
um, you know, are the alterations structural or non-structural kind of, you know, so um, a really common type of um, commercial lease is a full repairing and insuring lease where basically the um, commercial tenant is responsible for the whole term of the lease for repairing the inside, the outside, the property, very hands off for the landlord. You can't always get that. So um, you may have to kind of row back on that and maybe um, have some form of service charge or the landlord responsible for certain elements of repair. Um, then, you know, kind of in terms of um, can the can the tenant assign their lease or sublet their lease? There'll be kind of um, governance around that. Are there any rent reviews? Because one of the beauties of commercial leases is that um, there's the ability to keep track with inflation, the rent to keep track with inflation, because obviously they can be longer leases. Um, and, you know, so is there any any provisions there for reviewing the lease, kind of increasing the rent or decreasing the rent you're trying to avoid that obviously and yeah. um, and yeah so so and then you know kind of what is the agreement subject to is it subject to planning is it subject, it's always subject to contract but is it subject to you know board approvals or or whatever else and then some time scales in, in terms of of that happening so I would really recommend people start with some heads of terms which basically give some broad principles in terms of an agreement so that when you actually instruct lawyers um because you will need to instruct lawyers to to, to do the lease um well you know you're not spending a lot of lawyers times trying to negotiate those kind of heads of terms the kind of principle of the agreement is agreed that makes sense basically you sitting down with the other party and just agreeing coming up with a list of things that you agree with and you want to put within the lease that's that's essentially what heads of terms ends up being is it yeah, so um, you, if you if you Google heads of terms commercial leases, you can see some kind of draft, um, and the landlord would usually come up with the first draft of it, and then send it through to the tenant, and then the um, the, the tenant would um, you know come back with their alterations. Then you kind of get to some form of agreed position before you instruct lawyers. Yeah. And obviously some of the providers, some of the bigger providers will have a set lease that this is the lease that they use and they'll pr present that to a property investor and you won't necessarily be able to do that and, and write your own lease in that way. Um, but certainly with some of the smaller providers, they might be more flexible in, in lease terms and be open to those kind of negotiations. So it's really interesting to, to understand how that works and, and how that process is. You mentioned break clauses when you were talking then. Um, what kind of break clauses or what is a break clause really? So, yeah, a break clause is when, so obviously you have a term of the lease. So say the lease is for 10 years. Um, a break clause is the ability for one or both parties to terminate that lease early. Um, now, you can have a tenant's break clause where um, the tenant has the ability to terminate um, early. And that, there might be some conditions on that. It might be that, you know, um, they can only terminate for a certain reason. Um, or quite often there's time frames in there as well. So, for example, um, they might say um, it, the, the lease might say only on six months notice, uh, notice to be served by you know mail or whatever. So there's quite tight provisions in there so that if they haven't served that notice in time, they lose their right to break. Um, or it could be a landlord's break clause, um, or it could be a mutual break clause where either party has the, the right to, to break at that particular um time and, and I know that some banks do like to have break clauses in some of these leases because they're mm. worried about the reputational damage of having to remove kind of you know um 
residents there who uh, mm. with support needs or whatever. So um, I would think that you you find a fair amount of break clauses in these kind of leases. I suppose the um, the only thing to say in addition to that really is that if you've got a ten year lease with a tenant's break clause at year five it isn't actually a 10-year lease, it's a five-year lease. And so when it's being valued, a valuer won't look at it like, look at it like a 10-year lease, they look at it like a five-year lease. So um, agents in my, commercial agents in my experience, if they're marketing that type of property, they, they quite often fail to make that differentiation. So you just need to be smart to that as a point. <laughs> it's really, really true. And so do, when they're looking at that valuation, do, is that regardless of which side the, the break clause is on? If the break clause is on the landlord's side, do they still value that up as a no, no. So so if it's if it's on the landlord's side, obviously um it's at your discretion. So if, if it's mutual, they would do, because if it's mm-hmm. if either side could do it. If it's landlords, no, they would tend to look at it as a 10-year lease because mm-hmm. you know you you would you you would think that you're only going to do something that's within your commercial benefit. And if that was you know, why would you terminate it early? There, there might be a reason because you want to redevelop, in which case that's fine. But um, uh, it would usually, it, you, you would usually just assume that's a 10-year lease in that case. Yeah, yeah. And certainly you're right about the the lenders wanting to have break clauses. I've had to put those into leases, you know, where if I was to default on payments, they wanted, you know, to be able to to break and and in their favor if I was to default paying so that they could repossess the property if they needed to so absolutely that's yeah that's definitely something yeah which I which I have to say from a commercial perspective I completely understand that their their perspective but equally I would think that from a lending point of view you would also actually want a longer lease so so having kind of these break clauses in there from a commercial perspective gives you less certainty potentially so it's I don't know I, I've never I understand it on one level, but I don't understand it on the other. No, it's really complicated, isn't it? And I think, you know, and again, most of them, the lenders on the residential properties won't let won't like leases longer than five years, you know, yeah. which again doesn't seem to make a lot of sense when, you know, if they if someone wants a longer lease on the property, most property investors would rather issue a longer lease, you know, and then you're having to say, Oh, sorry, my bank won't let me do that. I exactly. want it to be five years. Yeah. Which in the commercial world is crazy because if a tenant says to you, I want to 10 15 year lease you're never going to say to a commercial tenant oh no actually let's just do five it's fine you know it, it, it is really really about faith yeah. in terms of what you would usually expect and the commercial lenders are obviously happy with those longer leases yes exactly yeah in fact they 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 will feel a lot more comfortable obviously they'll do a tenant uh, covenant check so they'll make sure that you know you're not just you're not just giving a 10 15 year lease to an empty entity and they're going to go under within in two mm-hmm. years so they'll make sure of that but as a general rule the longer the lease is um the more that they feel their risk is mitigated so mm-hmm. you know they feel much more comfortable with it yeah it is really interesting that they try and you know it's different on a building that's class as a commercial building you know like a larger block of flats or a large hmo yeah. but a small residential property with a commercial lease on they're literally always wanting five-year leases it's, yeah it's it's definitely it's interesting and i think it will change and i think you know i think it is a changing market as people as the lenders understand the space a bit better i think it will be yeah. interesting to see where it goes um so you've talked about break clauses that can be in favor of either either side is there anything else that can trigger break clauses is it just one side or the other deciding that they want that 
Yeah, so you can have, um, so in terms of actual break clause in the lease, you can have um, penalties on there. So, you know, if, if one side operate a break clause, there's a financial penalty. Um, there can be break clauses if they haven't fulfilled certain things, um, you know, um, or the certain, it could be for a certain reason. So that, that, that that's the main thing. Um, you can't tend to, you, you can't tend to break for any other reason than is stated in the lease. If if a tenant is defaulting on their rent or they're not repairing the property, there's other grounds where, where you know, you can move a tenant on uh, or try to move a tenant on. The law is very much on the tenant side in that kind of that kind of sphere. Um, so but you'd have to use different provisions and a break clause um, to do that. So it's really key to get those break clauses right and obviously to get good legal advice when you're writing these leases to make sure you're protected in the way you need to be. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And um, I don't know how much much ability you have to negotiate some of these leases, but I I think there's probably lines of the sound where I just wouldn't agree to certain things. So you just have to take a view on it, obviously. Um, mm -hmm. So, yes, it's really, really important to get legal advice because... Sorry, dogs, dogs in the background. It's fine. Um, <laughs> um, there's a, yeah, it's really important to get legal advice because commercial leases are a really complicated area. And um, especially if the other side are represented, you don't want to be at a commercial disadvantage by not having, you know, for the sake of, for the sake of, you know, a couple of grand of fees, two or three grand worth of fees, I would highly, highly recommend you have a lawyer representing you. Yeah, absolutely. Because you're signing this for a long time. It's, it's something you're committing into and you need to make sure you're protected, don't you? Is yeah. there anything else that should be in the lease? Is there anything else that needs to be in there? Well, I think um, so. Yeah, I mean, there, there's there's lots of complicated provisions about insurance and who repairs in the case of, you know, fire or this property being destroyed, etc. Um, I think that repair is really, really important. So um, in my experience, you know, from a landlord's perspective, you really want to get the, the tenant to be repairing everything if you can. But obviously a lot of tenants see that as being, um, you know, uh, difficult and, and expensive, you know, so if, if they have if responsible for a new roof or whatever. So you will find a lot of tenants um, in all spheres actually trying to mitigate their costs of spend on a property. Um, so you need to be ready for that one uh, because, you know, their starting point, point will probably be the landlord repairs everything and your starting point will be the tenant repairs everything. So there's going to be, you know, you have to kind of compromise. Yeah. Um, I think commonly, sort of it, certainly in the more residential properties, the providers very rarely will cover roof and externals um, or the boiler. They're very commonly the things that fall right. to the landlord, I think. And yeah. then the, the rest will often they will pick up. But, um, yeah, yeah, which sounds probably quite sensible. So obviously, when you go into that, you just need to understand what state the roof's in, what state the boiler's in, and just kind of understand those costs just in case that comes in as a liability mm -hmm. later. So um, yeah, def definitely repair. You definitely want to look at whether they can. It's called alienation. The whether they can assign or sublet. Um, you, what you don't want in that circumstance is to have a diluted covenant. You know, you might you might um, do a deal with a grade A tenant and they want to do an assignment or a subletting to a grade B or a grade C tenant, you know, in financially. And obviously, um, A, you've got a potentially got a bank who's going to be very interested in that. Um, and C, you've got 
um you you want to make sure you're going to get paid the rent obviously and you know you need to do be doing all the financial checks and balances um it, it quite often you can't you can't kind of say no to some of these things um once they're in the lease so you need to make sure that when you're actually putting the lease together that you're absolutely sure what you're saying yes and no to because um uh if, if a tenant makes an application to assign or sublet the lease it's quite often the landlord not uh, to provide consent not to be unreasonably withheld or delayed and so um you know you don't want to be in a position where you can't say no because you've agreed a clause that you didn't really understand what you were agreeing or you might have been too lenient at, at that particular point so it's just worth kind of looking at that and making sure that you understand it so if if it's assignable say i let my property to a care provider who then can't can't maintain the service doesn't get the contract renewed they then sublet it to i don't know someone who's going to run the property as a bed and breakfast or something that could happen um if you assign it and and then you may not have the right to refuse that like you're saying unless it was looking like you were being unreasonable but actually that could really mess up your lending if your lending is specifically for that and it doesn't allow you know airbnb or bed and breakfast kind of provision within there so i guess that's where yeah. you have to be protected yeah and this is where lease clauses all work together so this is where you can control that through the user clause in the lease so in the user look clause in the lease you'll probably have a, a planning class in there but then you might want to say you know um only to only to be used for um you know uh the use of supportive living accommodation or mm -hmm. whatever whatever it might be you've got to be really careful with the user clause because you don't want to restrict it so much that they can't do what they you know they can't you know because actually if they want to dispose of it to another equally uh equal type of covenant um who, who's still doing the same kind of business you want to enable them to do that mm. um but you just want to make sure that what, what you're doing isn't is it going to breach your lending or whatever. So you can control it through the user clause, but it can't be so restrictive that um you know that 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 it's going to affect the rent because they'll say, well, we can't operate within that. So we want a rent reduction. So this is where this is this is where commercial leases get a bit complicated because you're kind of trading off different lease clauses. Um and and you know ultimately all the lease clauses have an effect on the rent so if you if you as a landlord are trying to restrict something too much um, an operator will look at it and go well i can't operate from that it, you know you're trying to restrict me so much i can't operate from that so i'm going to offer you half the half the rent i was going to offer because you know i just can't i can't operate my business as, as usual there and obviously that's not in the landlord's interest either so you have to there's always a balance with these things you want to you want to have as much control as you possibly can as a landlord without restricting them so much that they can't, you know, they can't run their usual business really. Really, really good advice there. And I think, you know, the, the key, key thing is, I know you've mentioned it several times, is getting good legal advice, isn't it, on these? Don't feel like you need to understand these entirely, you know, but make sure you've got someone who does understand them, who's, who's helping you with it. Is there anything yeah. else that people need to think about? Is there anything else that we've not mentioned that you think is really key people know about? Well, I think, um, yeah, so definitely get good legal advice. Um, and it depends on the size of the deal you're doing and kind of what it is, where it is. But, you know, you can also get commercial agents to help you with this this stuff as well. So whilst most commercial agents I know don't necessarily specialise in the support sector, um, they do know commercial leases. And what I tend to find with lawyers, unless you've got a really commercial lawyer, which which do exist and are really good, by the way, like this is definitely not downgrading um, the advice from lawyers because, you know, sometimes it can be fantastic. 
But if you've got a really pedantic lawyer that's not very commercial, um, you know, you, you can sometimes be at a, a, um, a disadvantage in negotiations because, you know, they're, they're trying to, and if you don't understand, if you don't understand commercial leases much and you'll say, well, my lawyer's saying this, and you just not, sometimes you can be stymied so much by a non-commercial lawyer that you don't even get the deal done. So sometimes a commercial agent can unlock that and they, you know, they're much more commercial. So they understand the commercial implications of it and they also, but they also understand leases. So they, they can kind of strike some kind of balance between the two in terms of, you know, making sure you get the lease clauses you want, but also being commercial enough to say, well, actually, let's let that point go because that's actually the scheme of things that are important. We are much better to get this point over here because that's going to affect your rent or, or whatever. And the, when you're talking about a commercial agent, where would people find one of those if, if they've just, you know, it's a property they own, they've got direct contact with their provider, Is this, where would they find a good commercial agent? To... So, yeah, you, you can just, um, so you can look up them on, um, there's, there's websites like um, Property Link Estates Gazette, um, Riala, um, the RICS, that you can find commercial agents locally. As I say, going to be challenging to find ones that, that specialize in this sector but but if 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 you want advice um on leases they can certainly help and you want to be kind of getting something called a professional surveyor probably so somebody who deals with rent reviews lease renewals etc um and then you know um can can um yeah can, can kind of give you give you more commercial advice because they deal with that day to day um, and, and I suppose kind of the, the other thing that um, obviously the level of rent, you may or may not be able to negotiate um, and the, um, you know, whether whether you can have these in, these leases inflation linked um, with, with through rent reviews. I don't know from your experience how often you can get those, but I would imagine when it's a longer lease, 10 to 15 years, obviously your day one rent is going to um in 15 years time is going to be completely outdated so it's very very common to have rent reviews and there's a whole load of case law and everything around rent review clauses and you know I would say out of every pretty much everything in the lease every, every lease clause is important but you need to make sure you, you get that right because that can really affect the level of rent you can get kind of throughout the term of your lease. Yeah, absolutely. And it, I think it's something that the regulator of social housing is looking into. For, so for those who are working with regulated housing associations, I think it might be harder to get some of those rent reviews that previously have been available. But it's at consultation stage. So we'll see whether it's accepted mm. as legislation or not, because um, I think that could have a big impact on on people's um leases and the value of them going forward I think it's going to be interesting to see yeah I mean I think that there's two obviously two ways well there's two main ways you can get rental increases one is that you can just get fixed increases through the through the term and that might be the way that you have to go if they start regulating it too much so that everyone knows what their liabilities are from the beginning you can um you can you can use open market comparables although they're limited with with this kind of accommodation so i think that's probably not the right thing to do and obviously then you have cpi or rpi linked um reviews which would be more normal mm. and certainly in institutional leases you know the ones that pension funds will take on or um of this type of property they would always expect to see um annual probably annual um, increases capped and collared at maybe one and four percent or one well it used to be like that before inflation went to like crazy crazy percent <laughs> scary numbers uh, at the moment, yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> um 
I don't think you're going to get away with 10% though, sadly, per annum. Mm-hmm. But, um, but you know, kind of, it would usually be capped in college at around like one and four, one and mm-hmm. five, one and three, something like that. Um, but yeah, it just depends what, what, what the regulator comes back with, really. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see where that goes. Thank you, Susie. It's been really great chatting to you. Um, I'll put your contact details in the show notes so people who want to find you can come and find you there. And um, yeah, thank you very much. Absolute pleasure. Great to see you. Take care. Bye. Thanks. Bye. Thank you for listening today. If you want to find out more, please go to my website, www.lisabrown.uk, where you can download a free guide to supported living property.